Well, I got it. We're, we're ready to go, baby. I tweeted it out on mine so people will come in and we can start. It's great to talk to you again. It's great to hear you. Uh, yeah, it's been a while, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I last saw you when August, sorry, um, March 2017? No, did you, wait a second, I saw, no, 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 no. I saw you in, uh, did I see you in South Africa in uh, 2018? In, uh, yeah, it must have been 2017, somewhere in Johannesburg. No, 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 the Johannesburg, uh, that event. <laughs> That event was in it was in twenty it was twenty eighteen it was twenty yeah, it was a blockchain yeah you're absolutely right it was the twenty eighteen it was yeah. a blockchain conference in twenty eighteen yeah that that's what it was yeah it was definitely twenty eighteen it was March uh, March yeah exactly yeah that, that that was a good time it was at uh it was in Santon it was in Santon in it, it was Santon at the Microsoft head office if yeah. you remember yeah yeah it was at a nice yeah. office I remember that yeah yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, a, 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 lot, a lot has happened since then. I, I hope everyone like me has held on to their Bitcoin since then, because it's gone, oh, gone up quite a lot, quite a lot. <laughs> There's been a lot of change in between. I think uh, sometime in 2018, a lot of people got dispirited, pro pro probably decided not to, to hold on, and they probably dropped the ball and sold some of their Bitcoin. Because there was a time when Bitcoin went down all the way to like three thousand five hundred dollars. Yep. And then it's just shooting up. <laughs> yeah, that when we were when we were in South Africa, it was around I don't know, it was around ten thousand then probably. It hadn't it hadn't had that big drop yet, but uh, yes, yes, yeah. at that time the price was still okay because it was just off the peaks of December twenty seventeen. Yeah, of seventeen k. And, uh, and we, we were all hopeful that it would drop any further. But anyway, it's all history now because yes. we're talking of 30 grand at the point, right? Now, now, what we should actually talk about is, you know, talking about price was in November of 2016 when I was in Harare, when I was in Zimbabwe, t teaching people about Bitcoin, you know? Exactly. Right. So, so, so what I was going to do <laughs> is I was just going to do a quick intro. Um, uh, so that people get to get a sense of uh, who you are and also where we come from. So uh, let me just say this. Um, I'm happy to welcome everybody on this uh, Twitter space. And I've been on, this is the first time I'm doing this. So I'm just trying to figure out how the technology works. Um, I've, I've been in this space for, for a while myself, but I have on here Adam. Uh, the Bitcoin Meister, that's what, what, is, what is basically known as. And Adam is a long time Bitcoin evangelist. He's been in crypto for a very, very long time. And I've known Adam for years. And like we're saying, we've met at crypto or blockchain conferences a few times before. And we had, by the way, Adam in Harare in 2016. So Adam was in, 20, in, in Harare in 2016 teaching people about Bitcoin. Um, at that time, we were very, very, very active in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space in Zimbabwe. So Adam, you want to just quickly step in and just introduce yourself so everybody gets to know who you are, what you do, what makes you tick. And please remember to share about your prolific YouTube channel where you're always... <laughs> Always, always, just taking <laughs> uh, All right, yeah, that and that's that's just that's a good way to start it. Uh, well, I'm Adam Meister. I'm from the United States. Uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, in in the United States. I found out about Bitcoin probably in 2011. I bought my first two Bitcoin at the end of 2013, and from the and I made my first video then also. 
And I already, I, I was already a YouTube, I had made YouTube videos in the past about other subject matters, about my hometown of Baltimore City. And I, I transitioned because I got so excited about Bitcoin. I transitioned into making videos about Baltimore to making videos about Bitcoin. And I got the name Bitcoin Meister, Disrupt Meister. And by, by 2015, I was so hardcore into Bitcoin. Um, I wanted to go to my first Bitcoin conference in 2015. Now, you might not even know this part of it. My first Bitcoin conference in 2015, I decided I'm an American. I, I hear all this about how Bitcoin is going to change the world. I got to see, you know, where the people really need it. And people were like, Africa is a great place for Bitcoin. And in April 2015 in Cape Town, that was the first Bitcoin Africa conference in, in 2015. And so that was my, I traveled from Baltimore, Maryland to Cape Town, South Africa. I'd never been to Africa before. And um, and that was and that was my first Bitcoin conference. So I've been tied up with Bitcoin and Africa lo longer than a lot of people. I mean, people were talk people were talking the talk back then. I was walking the walk. So uh, yeah, I, I met a few South Africans there that I I, I, I stayed in touch with. And but but I, I made videos, a, a couple videos in uh, Cape Town, and and from there, 2016. And but you might might remember in April of 2015. Bitcoin was really low. It was in the 200s, and there were very few people at this conference in Cape Town. But I didn't. I did not sell. I met. I met Lorian. Uh, I met Lorian then. Lorian uh, Gamaroff. Uh, who, yeah, that, that's when I first met Lorian and uh, Ab Abraham Cambridge and Sonia, who's the lady who puts on all of the conferences in South Africa or a lot of them. I, I, I think at that time the only the only change in South Africa was probably Luna. Yes, it, yeah, I believe they had a person there too. Um, and all these, you know, what, what, what I didn't like, and I still don't like, um, even back then, the South Africans, they wanted regulation. They're like, let's invite these central bankers here. And what's that gotten them? I, I, I don't really, it, you know, there was just a big, a big hack. Uh, uh, some uh, in South Africa, they, these guys just ran away with like billions of dollars of Bitcoin, and you know they're they're the country that wants to be uh, uh, you know regulated. Didn't even help them. Um, but but what what it, what it did help, I will tell you this: if if you were at that conference in 2015 and and you just you didn't value your wealth in rand, you valued your wealth in Bitcoin, you're in great shape. I mean, my lord, if you spent two hundred dollars. Or, or own a Bitcoin back then, or two hundred fifty dollars, whatever it was. Um, you know, you, you, you've done quite well, and the rand has gone down the tube since then. The economic chaos that has occurred in Zimbabwe since then is unbelievable. Is also very, very un unbelievable. The, the changes that have happened. I, I met Vinnie Lingham at that conference, and he was the guy. Vinnie Lingham, who is, is, is an American, is where he's a South African and an American. He's from South Africa originally. Yeah, and, 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 Oh, oh yeah, he was only Bitcoin, and he said to the crowd, you know, he asked the question, "How low can it go?" And some people were like, "It could go to fifty dollars," and he he said, "It's not going to zero, and yeah. if it went, if it got to some of the numbers you guys say, there are guys in Silicon Valley who would just back up the truck and buy it all." So he he was absolutely right. It it, it got to about two hundred, but there was just there was a point where there were smart people back then that were going to buy a ton of it if it, it got below two hundred. And and long story short, I you know I you know I started making these videos and everything, 
And uh, Tawanda Kembo from Zimbabwe invited me to his event in November of 2016 because he knew I had that um, that interest in it. And, and Lorian and I uh, spoke at the uh, the first Zimbabwe Bitcoin conference, and it was uh, it was a pleasure meeting everyone. If Bitcoin was seven hundred dollars then, and Lorian Gamaroff gave everybody there. Um, I remember he was giving uh, 0.01. 0. 0.05 no, no, he gave. It was close. It, it was he gave five dollars worth of Bitcoin, and Bitcoin was seven hundred then. So, if you do if you do the math, it's it's worth. Um, I mean, it's it's worth a little. It's like worth two hundred fifty dollars now, or something like that. What what he gave out? Um, yeah, yeah, it's worth two hundred fifty dollars roughly because it, it's fit. It's fifty x since then. It has. I remember getting Yes. So that was a. If the people kept their Bitcoin, and not everybody kept their Bitcoin, they, some people got rid of it. Uh, I think most people got rid of it. They, they, it would be 50. He basically gave away... Uh, or, or, or they don't even remember where the wallet is. Yeah. yeah. Because I remember Lorraine was getting people to download Mycelia, the Mycelia wallet at the time. Yeah, he was, it was on everybody's phone. He said, put your phone out. I mean, but now you have $250 worth of Bitcoin. I mean, but all, the weird thing, um, back then... You know, with Zimbabwe was not having inflation then. It was just you, you could not get dollars out of the bank. And I got to see it firsthand. I got to – I had to go to the bank <laughs> uh, because uh, the Mozambique – for me to get into Mozambique, I had to wire them $100 from a, a Zimbabwe bank. It was insane. It's so backward to get into uh, – it was last minute. I was going to speak in Mozambique also. and. <laughs> You know, instead of just going to the Mozambican embassy and handing them $100, they made me wire – so I had to go to the bank in Zimbabwe. Long story short, I saw the lines, uh, how people just wanted to get $100 out of the bank. Um, but uh, after I left, they, they brought back that, that currency, whatever that thing was called, and, they, and there was a new government eventually. And unfortunately, from what I can tell – Just, just to, re to recap, 2015, when you were there, what was happening was that uh, there was a shortage of dollars. And dollars were the uh, legal tender at the time, so it was getting harder and harder to get cash out of the ATM. It set the whole complex, uh, all sort of complex issues that was giving rise to that. But let's take a, let's take a step, step back. When you first bought your Bitcoin in 2013, uh, what was it priced at? And, and when you think back, what was the environment like? Just to give a picture to people who uh, who, who just joined on getting to know about Bitcoin now or in recent years. What was, what was it like at the time? What was the community like? Oh, there was like... And, 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 and it was easy to understand that space at the time. Um, and by the way, I've just invited as a speaker, Kulisan who requested to talk. So uh, feel free to join in when you feel that you want to make a contribution. Uh, well, I, I will tell you this. That, that day, in no, it was November of 2013, and the reason I bought was because Coinbase had recently made it easier. Before then, there was no Coinbase. So I was not going to wire money to Mt. Gox. My first two big my my first two Bitcoin, the total, the total cost for the two was it was over, it was like 1260 or something. So Bitcoin was about $630 then. Let's say it was $630 a piece. And I was just excited immediately because it was that that November it was pumping. It pumped to like a thousand dollars, so I thought I was really smart. I, t I told all my friends during uh, 
Thanksgiving break in, in America. I was just telling telling them all how, but there was hardly a community at all. I was just, I found out about it through like alternative economic websites. Like there were no, there was no Bitcoin Twitter then at all. There was no, that, that didn't exist. Um, Yes, that you're right. There, there was those who is Satoshi stories back then. That was your only, me but there was al alternative media was kind of covering it, but alternative media wasn't as as big back then. Uh, and but, but so, so it was like it was a desert of information, really a desert of information. And there were eventually after I made my first few videos. In, in 2013, then 2014. By 2015, there were there were people doing it on YouTube, but there were no podcasts. It was just it was just a video. It was just YouTube people and, and stuff. And I was one of the first guys doing it. But there, I don't know if Coin Coin Telegraph might have came around. Like by 2014 or 15, there were a few publications and stuff. But but 2013, 2013, you really had to kind of be in the know you, you had to have some insider information but i mean i give coinbase once coinbase opened every american could have bought it very easily very easily um so so you were the best person to actually go mainstream on video uh, there were there were other guys. There there were some other guys before. I was I was the first one. There were there were. I mean, Tai Zen was around. A guy, uh, uh, Crypto Omar, was around before I. But there were there were there were smaller guys. There was some guy in Europe with a fancy car. Uh, there, there was there was a there was another one that had like Crypto University or something. There were a few guys. Uh, oh, oh, and then there were some scammers too, even back then. Well, some sketchy dudes. There were some sketchy dudes back then. Like there were guys that just had webs, like YouTube channels that would occasionally mention Bitcoin. Like their main topic wasn't Bitcoin. You, you had to search, you had to do a Google search on Bitcoin and it would come up with like titles, names that had Bitcoin in it. But I will say this, as there was in, in late 2013, there was no Ethereum. Ethereum was not talked about until... 2014, but they were there was Litecoin, there was Litecoin back then, but they're like coin, coin, and coin market cap existed, but there were only like 50 coins. That's all there were in, in late 2013. And the only and the only place I knew you could buy it at there was a site called BTC-E, and you could trade in your Bitcoin for like Peer Coin and Litecoin and uh, Filecoin. All these there were these ancient. Uh, ancient altcoins back then so it was uh, and there was more talk i mean there was there was bitcoin talk on reddit definitely mm -hmm. and there was the site bitcoin talk i remember that but there, there were i i mean i knew who Ch charlie shrem was known at the time i that that's all i can remember i, I do know that Ch that charlie shrem was known at the time i don't know what if he what he was running or, or whatever um but i i, I will say this and, you know, going 2014, 2015, bear, really bad bear market. It's not like many people joined then. It wasn't until 2016 when people started talking about the halving that it, it, there clearly was a good momentum and newbies came in. And, and what, a what a difference a year made from like May of 2016 to, 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 to May of 2017. Everybody and their mother was all of a sudden in it. And, uh, you know, there were Ethereum people, there were the ICOs, so there was just a tremendous, uh, but I mean, I do give credit to Sonia in, in South Africa for, for having, 
Yeah, in 2015, she walked the walk. All these people were talking about how Bitcoin and Africa need to go together. Well, she had an event in Africa. And some of us, a few Americans, um, oh my God, one of the Americans that, that made it over there besides me in 2015 was, uh, uh, what's his name? He, uh, he, he just, he, he ran for he ran for president. Uh, he ran. What's his darn name? He just ran for president in the United. He, he's uh, he's a very wealthy guy. Uh, what is he? The guy who ran for president. He's he's uh, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's famous in America. He was in movies when he was a kid. Um, God, what? Okay, I want to look at him. No, no, no. He's he was in, he came to South Africa for the uh, for the comments. But he's if I just thought of his darn name now. Uh, hang on a second. Let me. Uh, I'll look it up. Not not in New York. He actually ran for uh, president. He lives in Puerto Rico. Uh, God, why can't I think of his name? I'm, it's, it's embarrassing. Um, once I say his name, um, Brock Pierce. Brock Pierce. Oh, okay. Brock Brock Pierce is. Uh, he he was there. He he uh, he's very. I mean, he's he's known for a lot of things. But he, I, I give him credit for being. He was on Africa. Uh, early on also and uh yeah it, it's uh but 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 what i've been preaching you know on the african side since i visited south africa in 2015 is that you, the governments there are very unpredictable in terms of printing money and that this is the perfect thing to be your savings account that everybody in south africa and especially zimbabwe um should have gotten the bitcoin back then and just started saving in bitcoin very few people did it i mean it was because it was scary back then i guess but it, it, there's still an opportunity because my lord, those countries um, all over the African and it's not just Africa. It's I mean, most countries have very unpredictable uh, financial regimes where they you don't know what they're going to do next. From Argentina to, to Zimbabwe to Eastern European countries. Uh, it's, to, it's, it's pretty much a problem with fractional reserve bank, basically. Yeah, but. They really take it to extreme. I mean, just going over the history of Zimbabwe in the last five years, it went from, you know, you couldn't get money out of the bank to now there's it's inflation. They had hyperinflation again or something like that. So, I mean, it, you know, they have hyperinflation one year. They You can't get money out of the bank the next year. Then there's hyperinflation. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And they, Zimbabwe's, I, I, Zimbabweans had a chance to, I mean, they still do. They, they could have gotten their money into Bitcoin and be, be their own bank. Because my lord, you don't want to be dealing with the banks in that country. Woo, man, that that was a that was quite an experience for me. And to, I mean, it left it definitely left an impression seeing those those lines to, to get into the banks there. Uh, and, uh, and and in Mozambique, it was the same thing. I, I spoke to people. I'm like, it got at the time. I, it, in that same time period, a big bank in Mozambique had just closed and run away with everybody's money or something like that. And um, just being your own bank. Uh, is is so important in in a, in a developing country and 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 valuing your wealth in Bitcoin and and people in America we don't people don't understand this at all they 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 many people just use it for trading and speculation now I mean it preserves your wealth now we're printing money like uh, crazy also now but uh, well the U S has printed over two trillion last uh, eighteen months yeah it's horrifying it's absolutely and we we got stimulus checks when they announced. When, I mean, I knew we were going to get stim stimulus checks um, over a year ago when when they, they when they were scared about the virus and everything shut down. Um, I knew, so I, I mean, I bought Bitcoin went during the panic on March, whatever it was, March thirteenth, twenty twenty. Bitcoin for a second went under four thousand dollars, 
And I bought I bought more Bitcoin then. I knew I knew the government I knew the government was going to give us checks eventually. And sure enough, they gave us uh, I forgot how much they gave us worth uh, three thousand dollars worth of checks. The government. I mean, that's that's America for you. They, uh, three checks that totaled three thousand dollars. I spent it all on Bitcoin, all of it. And what what a great investment that was because you know, Bitcoin is Bitcoin is went from you know five thousand dollars to uh, whatever it's thirty five thousand, whatever it is today. I don't know. Well, Oh yeah, that too. And, and, and I want to remind everyone, everyone who's dis, who's disappointed that it's not sixty four thousand now. Bitcoin always returns to its all time high. You just have to be patient. You just have to be patient. And most people are not patient at all. Not at all. Yeah, just a comment for Kulisani. Uh, I muted you because you're making noise in your background, but I'm still trying to figure out how to unmute you because you requested to speak. So uh, give me time. I'm going to figure out how that works. Uh, so let, let's, let's, let's do a deep dive uh, Adam, into some of the key issues uh, relating to crypto on the continent. Uh, I'm requested to, to, to put this on the table as a concern. As in, um, why should Africans care about Bitcoin? What are your thoughts on why uh, people on this call, or anybody else for that matter, should actually care about Bitcoin? Oh, oh, yeah, because the the governments are, are like I mean, from Nigeria to South Africa, uh, print they, they have economic policies that are insane and unpredictable, and they I mean, some of these countries try to lock their people in their currency. You, their capital controls. It's for simply put for economic freedom. If you are in those countries that I I mentioned. And, and many more that I don't even know, you know, I, that, I mean, I, I can learn every example on the planet if I want to. There is not true economic freedom. And some of it, it, there's like economic slavery almost. Where, I mean, when I was in Zimbabwe, you could not wire money out of the freaking country. That's so, that's horrifying. That's horrifying. So with Bitcoin, it gives you total economic freedom. You can wire money out of the country. You can preserve your wealth. You don't have to worry about the economic policy changing. The Bitcoin economic policy is the most stable and reliable economic policy ever created. There's only going to be 21 million of them ever. No, there's not going to be a surprise one day where you're holding your Bitcoin and there's, oh, no, now there are 210 million Bitcoin. No, that, that's not that's not happening. And it is happening on in so many countries um, and, and I mean, I mean, I saw it. <laughs> I, I I saw it firsthand when I was in Africa. It's it's very unpredictable. So they're just predict about predictability and freedom. That's why I think every I think logical people care about predictability and freedom when it comes to their future and, and their uh, their wealth. Yeah, for, for, for people who are new to Bitcoin uh, on here, this is a very complex conversation to have and. Maybe, maybe, maybe if we can take a few minutes to break it down. I'm going to explain it this way. Um, one of the most uh, interesting, enlightened, and educated people in the science of cryptography happened to be my professor, Evan. <laughs> and so, because of that reason, so this guy has written all the books he can think about on cryptography, on cryptographic science. And I, I thought for that reason, I decided to take this class. And I realized, even with all his advanced knowledge in cryptography, he actually doesn't quite appreciate Bitcoin. Um, even, though, even though Bitcoin is built on cryptographic science. 
monetary policy, banking, accounting, all built into one thing, which is difficult for people who are very specialized to understand. So it's very possible on this call that there are some people who might just not get it. Do you want to just do a, a scratch or maybe a deep dive into why the monetary policy of Bitcoin actually matter? Well, I, I think you make a, you you brought up a very good point that there's you can study the technical aspects of Bitcoin and be enamored with it and then still be a no coiner and not buy Bitcoin. I mean, it is it's technologically awesome. I, I can't explain all the technological stuff, but it's, this is the thing. And, and, and so that's very intimidating to some people. You got to you got to deep dive into the economic side of things. That's the reality that hits people on the ground. It doesn't matter how technically sophisticated it is um, and how awesome blockchain is for uh, for some uh, some farmer in uh, in Angola or whatever. OK, it, 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 it doesn't matter at all. It, it met the preservation of wealth. And, and the, the basic thing is in, you know, the, the, the type of money that everybody is used to on the planet Earth now is fiat money, money that is issued by governments. OK, and. They can, they can now because of computers, they can print as much as they want to just at the flip of a switch. It's all digital anyway. And that if, if you have $50,000 in the bank uh, and the government decides to print a trillion dollars more, well, your, your $50,000 isn't, isn't worth as much anymore. It's not as scarce. And scarcity is what brings value to anything in life. And so Bitcoin is a scarce commodity. Um, and that that gives it a uh, an, an underlying value in this world where there's nothing that's scarce anymore, uh, and and I think it and it's and it's predictability too that it's not it's not changing, and with with government issued fiat currency you don't know what what the next step might be. You have a new president, everything might change. Um, they, they 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 might say now a thousand dollars is only worth you know it's. They changed the decimals on the uh, on the on the cash or something like that. They've done crazy things in the past, or or make cash illegal. I mean th that that's another thing. And you in the fiat system, you mostly rely on third parties to hold your wealth, unless you have cash, which you what you you put that under your bed or something like that. And that's not a good idea. Um, but with uh, with Bitcoin, you are your own bank. You're relying on yourself. To control your wealth, and that can be a little scary for many people because if you make a mistake, um, you, you could you could lose it all, and you can't. There, there, there are no refunds in Bitcoin uh, if you control your own private key. Uh, but with a bank, of course, they could say, "Well, we will never lose your money." But they, there could be bank bail-ins. The government can order banks to to take private citizens' money. With Bitcoin, you don't have to worry about that. It is unconfiscatable. That is one of the important aspects. Uh, you know, fiat money is very much uh, confiscatable. You, know, you tell the bank this person is a terrorist and they, they, they will take the money away uh, from the so-called terrorist. And it, with, with your bank account in the United States even, you can't wire money to certain countries. They'll stop you. With Bitcoin, I can wire my Bitcoin. Not wire. I can send my Bitcoin to anyone on earth. It doesn't matter what country they are in. It, it is uncensorable. So they're like fiat, fiat money – Fiat money has a lot of limitations, and Bitcoin busts through those limitations right there. So they, I, I, I admire the computer scientists who are enamored with the uh, with the uh, technical aspects of it, 
But and that's great that it's technically solid that adds value to it. But people, regular people who want to preserve their wealth, uh, should, shouldn't worry about that very much. Uh, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you make a very interesting point that what what actually is very important because uh, a, a debate that always comes up is, uh, especially from technologies, is oh, blockchain is exciting. It's a very good technology, especially from the countries, right? Uh, but the token that runs on the blockchain, on the Bitcoin blockchain, is what we don't like. So they don't like the Bitcoin, but they like the technology that run, that that Bitcoin brought, which is blockchain. Um, so they try to make a split of the security that runs on the blockchain from the blockchain itself and say, oh, the technology is good, but we don't like the Bitcoin that runs on it. <laughs> and, and to me, you make a very interesting point that the economics of it is what actually matters. And I'm going to summarize very, uh, a few key issues there. Number one is the monetary policy that runs on Bitcoin, which is you don't print it in perpetuity and there's a limitation in the supply or it's capped. Which, which itself is another rabbit hole because we say 21 million Bitcoins and we know what Bitcoins are out there, but they actually, actually be far less because there's some people who have had their wallets blocked, others have forgotten about it, they forgot their password and so forth. So the actual type of Bitcoin that's in circulation is probably much less than the number that we take into account often. So having uh, said that, um, I invited Kulisari to speak, so do you want to just tap in very quickly? Oh, thank you for joining. Uh, thank you for inviting me to join. All right. I, I just wanted to say, uh, for me, the whole thing that excited me about this whole blockchain and Bitcoin thing was, um, I don't know whether I was watching something on CNBC or something, this is around 24, about uh, Satoshi Namamoto. Nakamoto is there and, and his white paper and the whole blockchain thing. And at the time, I think Bitcoin was around $100, something from, uh, around Bitcoin. Uh, that, 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 that was way after Adam bought his first Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> no, 24. This is 24, I think. Okay, 24, yeah. 24. The, the, yeah. the white paper came out in 2008, 2009. And then yeah. Bitcoin first release in 2011. This is the first time I'm hearing about it, right? And all this time I was, because um, I did economics with uh, A-level, right? So he had currency and all that, right? US dollars, he had and all that. So this is a whole new thing, um, decentralized money and all that. And I was like, wow. And the, the whole blockchain thing, and I was like, wow, it, 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 it blew me away, right? <laughs> for me, uh, living in a country like Zimbabwe, with the whole queues and hyperinflation and all that, I was like, maybe we need that decentralized money, and it might help my people in transacting all that and planning and budgeting for the future. For me, that that thing that drove me to Bitcoin and crypto. For my view is how do we incorporate that into our day to day life? It's a problem, or it's Africa. Uh, since I could, this is what drove me to request the mic because 
the topic in crypto in Africa. Well, I mean, how do you incorporate it into your day-to-day life? I will say this. The easiest thing you could do is make it your savings account. That will be your savings account. That that that's that's the easiest. That's that's how you're going to save. Don't have a dollar savings account. Have a, have a Bitcoin savings account. So whenever you you're stashing away a little money for the future, you you buy Bitcoin and you forget about it. That is your savings account. That's how you can incorporate. Because I I some people are going to say, well, you can you can spend it on this. No no no, don't. Don't spend it. <laughs> you re- you will regret spending it. That is in a country in those countries. It's it's not meant for spending yet. It's it's meant for savings for preserving wealth. Now it, you know you could encounter a situation though where you've got a relative in another country and you need he's he's in big trouble. He he needs money and you have no way of sending him money out of the country. You know the, the Zimbabwean banks aren't letting you wire money out. Then okay, you're gonna that that's not an everyday occurrence, but for for an emergency, you would you would get Bitcoin and wire him the Bitcoin, and that that would get him the wealth, and then it would be up to him to figure out how to transfer it to 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 use that Bitcoin to save his butt in the other country. But I'm telling you, in this con- in this world that we live in right now, this isn't 2013 anymore. This isn't 2016 anymore. You if you get anybody in this world that they got Bitcoin, they could find somebody that's going to give them the local fiat for it. It, that they need to, to pay somebody off with. So, um, but 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 my but the the for an everyday occurrence, just how how it can help people in their everyday life use it as a, as a savings account. That's that's what I would say. Absolutely, and also just I don't know if you're on concerning when um, Arab started talking about 2015, 2016 when he was in Harare with uh, Lorian and they were giving away five dollars worth of Bitcoin for free. Uh, prob- I think that's probably worth $250 or so yeah. now, that $5. So that can show you the power of saving in cryptocurrency, if you like. Uh, it, it, it makes it just that simple. One underlying that, that um, Adam is making is the reality that government-issued currencies, which is fiat, is inflationary by design. So it's designed to inflate, whereas Bitcoin is deflationary by design. So it's designed to deflate. Uh, we're not going to the technical elements of that unless somebody has a specific question. But let's jump on to uh, 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 another issue. How can we, one of the issues that I deal with, or one of the questions that I deal with almost very frequently is how can I buy Bitcoin? That's by people who are on the continent in Africa. And why they have to buy, why it's very difficult, complicated for them to buy Bitcoin. Part of that problem relates to the liquidity situation or liquidity problems of Bitcoin on the continent. In your opinion, Adam, what do you think we need to do to deal with the liquidity issues? There's just not enough Bitcoin on the continent. And sometimes it's hard for people to buy Bitcoin from outside the continent. How do you think that can be resolved? Yeah, you see, you're, you're asking... You're asking an American this question, and we have the easiest ways to buy Bitcoin, uh, you know. And uh, the, the, what I would suggest is you sign up for one of these exchanges that is not in Africa. Um, there, there are ones um, that then, but how would you wire the money to those exchanges, though, is, is the question. Uh, 
Yeah. And I mean, there's local Bitcoins. There's, you know, going to Bitcoin meetups and just straight up meeting people in person and handing them cash. I mean, if you if you got to do it like that. But I would I don't know the South African exchanges very well, but I would think they if if you have access to something that's RAND delineated uh, that you'd be able to hook up with them. I mean, that that is I am no expert on that. But if you could some if you could get into the South African ecosystem, um, that would help the, the liquidity uh, issue uh, right there. But 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 unfortunately, you know, there's the regulations that are in countries like Zimbabwe that don't let exchanges open up easily, from what I've been told. And uh, th- that that is a problem. Like my, a suggestion I would have is to I mean, this is a roundabout way there's a god i was so impressed by the people their their education in zimbabwe i mean a lot of technical skills just do some you know in, in this world we're living in now there's so much remote work get get a job online like an assignment and get paid in bitcoin for like a what i mean you could do social media work for people um that, that i mean th- this is an interesting concept there there are many since every in zimbabwe english is the language and English, English is the language of Bitcoin, by the way, too. Any any conference you go to, they're speaking English at. But all these YouTube creators, all these social media people, all the people you see out there, they need help. I mean, and yes, there's so I mean, if you're from Zimbabwe and, and all of these Westerners are enamored with Africa, they've never been to Africa, but they all think it's the future of Bitcoins in Africa. So you make them a pitch and say, you know, pay me this amount. I can help you market it in Africa. You, you, you go to just any sort of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency related company. You pitch them some skill where you can help them. They will probably hire you. And just pay you Bitcoin. That that was my roundabout way of of, of getting li- liquidity. Just uh, you know, get paid in Bitcoin, basically. Get paid by Westerners or wh- whoever to to work for them online and get paid in Bitcoin. And that that helps your uh, liquidity issue right there. I mean, that's, you're not buying it; you're earning it. So that, that that's a way around it. But I but I I, I do understand that it's. The, the way we in America, it's so easy for us just to, to go to an exchange, sign up. And and buy the Bitcoin. It's not that easy there. And you're going to, and it's a little, it's more dangerous. I mean, if you got to, if you got to, if you know someone who owns Bitcoin and they want cash for it, well, that's a, that's a, you know, a physical contact type of situation. Uh, But I mean, it it involves some trust and and networking on the ground. Uh, Do you think, do you think if um, we started building mind breaks? In Africa, say Zimbabwe, South Africa, Botswana, Mozambique, that would help in generating liquidity. We were mining, you said? Yeah, mining. You know, mining is moving out of China right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's an opportunity too. That's an opportunity too. And that, that's, I mean, that takes a lot of money. But uh, you, I, I got I to gotta tell you though, you're on to something there, right there. So, some of these uh, governments, <laughs> I. <laughs> This would be a tremendous project if, if, if a big moneyed individual in, in the West, you know, came to an African government and said, hey, we, we want to let us open a mine here. It's going to bring wealth into your country. We need certain incentives to do this, to make it worth our while, because all the mining's moving out of China now. So let's let's you you, you, you guys can provide. Yeah, I think I think it's a unique opportunity right now. 
I mean, be, I always say be in motion. The, 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 the mining is clearly moving out of China. It's got to move somewhere. These African leaders are known for their backdoor deals. I don't approve of backdoor deals, but uh, you know, it, it's an, it's an opportunity, right? Right. I mean, Mozambique could do it. Who knows? Uh, any, I mean, I, I, I can't make any predictions, but it's, it's worth a shot. And that that would that that would add that would add liquidity right there. Uh, definitely, if a if a country made Bitcoin mining legal, they would clearly make exchanging it legal and, and make it much easier for the people to get a hold of it. But that the leader would have to be pitched. He probably would have to be bribed and and, and stuff. But it's there you go. That that, that that's a that's a good uh, opportunity. I, I like that idea. Yeah, it's 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 important. On, on here or, off, or, or offline, we'll probably explore how the economics of solar would work because that could be an opportunity. But you mentioned Mozambique, and Mozambique has um, an excess of power supply because they have a very good hydro project over there. But they also have some um, gas projects that are in the pipeline, currently disturbed by some um, armed insurgency going on there. But well, well, actually, I, I have another idea. You know, we talked about Westerners funding such a project. China has a tremendous uh, footprint in Mozambique. They bought, they built the freaking airport in uh, uh, the, the, the what's this? Yes, they built the Maputo airport. That's what I was told when I was. It was a pretty nice airport. Um, it was new. It was new then, in, in or newish. But the, these, so okay, we know in in China. The, the corrupt leaders there are against Bitcoin. Okay, so they, they got to put on a face that they hate Bitcoin. But you know some of those corrupt leaders are buying it behind the scenes. Well, some of them could, if they've got their um, tentacles in Mozambique, they could just do in Mozambique when they couldn't do in China anymore. You, you see what I mean? Chi I mean, there's no doubt that China, there's many uh, Chinese governments have, I mean, with Chinese uh, have their, the Chinese government has their fingers in many African governments now. And thus, they could pretend that they hate Bitcoin in China, but in Africa, through some backdoor methods, they could allow the, uh, they could allow the mining to be set up there now. I mean, that, that's an opportunity the, to, that's an opportunity also. Now, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know how one would go about setting things up. I definitely wouldn't want to deal in, in such a situation with corrupt Chinese officials, but it's, it's quite possible. It's, it's, it's quite possible you could do that connection too, tying the, the, the Chinese presence that's already in Mozambique with their interest in Bitcoin and with the, uh, the excess power that's in Mozambique. Yeah, there you go. We're making up things as we go along here. It's 10 minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, those that have questions, just request to speak and I'll give you the opportunity or the chance to speak. And when you do that, if you have any questions or contribution or comment that we want to share, uh, please just request to talk. All right. Um, so the number of things that we want the agenda that we probably won't be able to fix today will probably set up another conversation where we'll touch on those things. So for example, uh, how can we push mass adoption? of cryptocurrencies and not just Bitcoin but other options that are available and are probably easier to mine. But that's 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 a matter for another day. And perhaps just speaking your thoughts on regulation. But let me just invite the that have questions and want to or have insights that they want to share before we wrap up the conversation. Anybody with any question or contribution to make? Uh, let, let, let's 
jump on to uh, what your thoughts are with regards to one of the things that comes up all the time. Sorry, go ahead. Hi. Um, uh, interesting discussion. Um, I think I've heard very positive things about Bitcoin on this discussion, but I recently came across Nathan Taleb's Bitcoin black paper, in which he claims that the value of Bitcoin is zero, and he gives several reasons why that's the case. And he talks about how Bitcoin fails as a store of value, as an inflation hedge, and as a terrorist hedge. And he talks about how Bitcoin depends on manners to validate transactions, and it's, it has it has sort of an incentivization system that other things like gold do not have. Um, it also talks about how Bitcoin won't hurt your portfolio against a market crash. I think we've recently seen this with uh, the volatility in the crypto space, people taking the money out of Bitcoin. And um, it, also, it also talks about how it won't protect you from so the claim is that it's decentralized, but actually the claim was that you know, no one could track your Bitcoin, but I think the US government have been able to do that recently with the, the ransom incident mm -hmm. where they were able to actually track people. Mm -hmm. I wonder what, what thought all of those criticisms. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, that, that's, you, you brought up a lot there. You brought up a lot. Yes, Bitcoin can be tracked. It is not private. That, that wasn't a secret. Um, that's, uh, that's not one of its, uh, it, it's, uh, that's not one of its selling points. So that actually makes governments more likely to accept it, um, and not regulate it because it is, you know, that it takes, it's hard, but you can track it. So, but that, that it doesn't, it's not a good, uh, preservation of wealth or it's, it's worth zero. He says it's worth zero. First of all, he, he's, a. Uh, He's got some uh, controversies with some dudes on Twitter. He's he's pretty bitter towards some uh, pro Bitcoin people. So he says things that are pretty outrageous. But I got to tell you, it's going it's going to zero. Bitcoin started out on uh, January what was it January third two thousand nine. Okay, it was worth zero dollars then, and ever since then, people said it was worth zero. I mean, we we talk about you know technical people versus reality people. Technically, you can say anything is worth. It has a zero value in the end of the in the end of the day, but 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 in re in reality, it's been twelve freaking years, twelve over twelve years, and it's worth quite a lot. And there are tremendous American companies buying it up, and or not just worldwide companies buying it up. So you can keep on saying all this theoretical nonsense. I live in the real world. He says it's not a good way to protect my wealth and that during a market crash, it doesn't help. Why on March the 13th of 2020, when I spent $10,000 on two Bitcoin as the market crashed, I spent $10,000 on two Bitcoin. Why are those Bitcoin worth close to $70,000 now? It seems to me that I was quite protected from the market crash, that my wealth was preserved and I, I'm doing quite well with, with those two Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. That's that's reality. That that's reality right there. Every all time high it has returned to. It that is reality. Um, I, I you know what are some other criticisms there? Uh, you know, that it's, well, I mean, the, the, I mean, I don't I don't think there's much. Uh, you know, that a better Bitcoin could be created or something like that too. That, that, that's another thing to remember. These during these twelve years, 
there just haven't been one or two competitors to Bitcoin that are private or that are do do special things. There have been thousands that have attempted to be the net and Bitcoin remains on top. So we can talk about all this theoretical stuff, but we have 12 years of on the ground experience. And, uh, and a lot of people use the same excuses over and that it could be hacked. It has, it's never been hacked. It's not confiscatable. I think maybe that's uh, something that was said too. It's only if you give your Bitcoin to like Coinbase or a Bitcoin bank, you don't control your own Bitcoin. If you control your own Bitcoin private key, they, no one can take it. They can't figure out what your private key is. It, it, it's yours. Um, and you said something about gold. Um, and just comparing gold and Bitcoin, I mean, you can't send gold, you, you know, going from America to Mexico. Good luck bringing gold across the border with you. I mean, you're going to get arrested. Um, but with Bitcoin, they don't even know. I mean, it's it's a number in your head. Uh, or, or, I mean, you just send it electronically. So, I mean, there's a, he is a, he brings up a lot of old points. He's, he's, he's got some hatred toward Bitcoin because he's gotten into these arguments on Twitter. And I, and I warn people, you know, don't get emotionally into this stuff on Twitter. Like a lot of people go down these rabbit holes and they become either Bitcoin fanatical lovers or Bitcoin fanatical haters. And they just waste their time screaming at each other all the, and they become crazy. Like Nassim Tlaib has become a, a little crazy there with his hatred of Bitcoin. Um, so, I mean, the bottom, the bottom line is don't be, you know, actually have some Bitcoin and experiment with it instead of just talking about it in theoretical ways. And I think there's all these people that just love to theorize the worst of the worst, but they just don't do. And if you actually did something over the last 11 years, you'd be freaking rich right now. Pound that like button, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's very interesting. I noticed uh is requesting to speak again. But I just wanted to, to touch on the things that he has raised as well. That uh, And some of the things you have touched on. Um, um, just, just to recap, Bitcoin is not anonymous. Bitcoin is pseudonymous. So so, 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 you can go on the blockchain and see what transactions are going on there. So that's very, very possible. So it is take down on Bitcoin based on that account and on just for sure. That's number one. Number two, Caleb uh, a few months ago sold his Bitcoin. So he owned Bitcoin before. And I suspect that it's to do with what Adam is referring to, picking up all this debate on Twitter and so forth. But he owned Bitcoin. He claimed on Twitter he was going to sell all his Bitcoin and then he wrote his blog. Bitcoin black paper. I haven't read it yet, but I've just seen uh, tidbits of the arguments he's been throwing around. What I basically know about Taleb is he is more into all this modeling, the technical modeling, and so forth. And the reality is anything can, the value of anything can go to zero, basically. Uh, even the value of gold can go to zero tomorrow if nobody wants to use it. So, so I don't, I don't think that should be a fundamental reason. So in theory, anything can go to the value of anything can go to zero. So that shouldn't be an issue at all. Uh, is that because you speak again? So you wanna step in, promoter? Yeah, indeed. Uh, so thanks, thanks for the answers. Um, I expected more in terms of actually addressing the arguments that Talib is making. I know he has a certain style of answering people yeah. on, on Twitter. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to do a point to read the paper in full. 
Yes, but then I'll be interested for you guys to read the paper in full and then to have another discussion about this. Another point I wanted to make, I suppose, is I'm hearing all these positive things about Bitcoin. That's good. But from your own perspective, what would be the risks of Bitcoin? What, what, how would you advise someone trying to get into Bitcoin in terms of advising them that, yes, it is a good thing, but these are the risks? Um, and what are the risks? Okay. Uh, uh, before Adam comes in, let me just... Uh, so, I get all these questions all the time, especially from people in Southern Africa. Just yesterday, there was an article shared a lot about uh, uh, some brothers in South Africa who apparently <laughs> people invested Bitcoin in their whatever institution and then they disappeared with it. Um, and and uh, Adam made a very interesting point. In cryptocurrency, you don't need a third party, a trusted third party to transact. Right? So you can buy. Bitcoin from an exchange, but why do you own it? Move it off the exchange because if you don't control the private keys, you don't own the Bitcoin. So, personally, I see no sense in people going to make a deposit with some financial institution and then people will disappear. So, a key risk there is when people don't understand that they just need to control their coins. They need to be in control of their coins, so they may lose it. So, whatever you don't control, you're trusting another party. And you will last very much like to lose it. So that's one key risk that I get all the time. I get lots of questions about all the time that uh, I need to highlight for you. But Adam, you know, okay, yeah, I've got three three things. One of them you hit on. The, the, a huge risk is. It, trusting your Bitcoin with a third party, involving any sort of third party with your Bitcoin, whether it be trying to trade it or sending it somewhere to get interest. That is a, that's a horrible risk right there. And I advise people don't involve third parties. Don't don't come into Bitcoin thinking you're a trader either, uh, because what you might end up doing is buying more Bitcoin than you can really afford to own. That that's a mistake, too. That's a, that's a huge mistake. Buying more buying more Bitcoin than you can a, a afford to own uh and uh get, getting into trading and uh in in certain countries like pretend you're in venezuela for instance and you you've bought bitcoin no one knows that you bought bitcoin but you make an announcement on social media that you, you know it's i'm a bitcoiner now this is saving my butt um that's a risk too when you in, in certain countries making yourself public in terms of because then you some of these countries if they know you're a bitcoiner they might put you on some list of people to, to look out for so there there's a there's a publicity issue about and that's the cool thing about bitcoin you you can be pretty much private with it but there are plenty of people and i'm one of them uh, <laughs> who, who go public and and that's the end that that is the end like you're going to be on a list if and that, that that is a risk you don't know when your country is going to go totalitarian on you so that, that that's definitely a bitcoin risk right there uh if, if you own it and make it known to someone there's a risk that your government if it turns totalitarian will come after you and try to uh say you're a terrorist or, or, or something like that uh, thank you for that answer. but I, I, I was looking more for you know intrinsic risk rather than peripheral risk so the, the things that you guys have talked about are don't use a third party to trade your bitcoin and that's given um you know that's a that's a that's a peripheral risk not an intrinsic risk to bitcoin i, I look more for bitcoin as a 
that don't bother you or market crashes. You know what? What's are the risks inherent to Bitcoin? I mean, the biggest the biggest risk, and I don't think it's happening, is if the the code something gets put into the code that totally uh, wrecks it. That that it, it just stops working. But that's nothing like that's happened. That's happened with altcoins and stuff. But I mean, that's your that's your that's your biggest risk. I don't think it's a big risk at all. But I mean, something could go go wrong with the code. Something could be found that could totally take it down. Um, and, but there are many eyes watching it. Uh, and but it, people could point to other altcoins that have to, that have broken in, in various ways and say, well, maybe that could happen to Bitcoin. But uh, uh, other than that, I uh, right now, I mean, it's it's been tested for eleven years here, and uh, nothing seemed to brought it down. Uh, to, I mean, I think I, I don't think uh, there there any uh, you know if there was if something was added that was supposedly an improvement and broke it, that that would be bad. Uh, but uh, just just tech, tech, technical, I mean, technical basics, basically, if, if there's something wrong with it that we do not know, that is that that's that's the biggest risk. Yeah. And I would add to that by saying that uh, I see two risks. Uh, the first one is that the, the value of Bitcoin fluctuates in the short term. So depending on when you want to move in and out of Bitcoin, um, because the value fluctuates, you might lose some value. That's number one. But in the in the long run, the long run trend is a graph that's going up. But in the short term, you might see prices could be thirty five thousand dollars now and then tomorrow thirty one thousand and so forth. So you get all this fluctuation. That's a risk depending on when you wanna go in. The other risk I see is people who are actually trying to trade Bitcoin. So people are trying try, I've not seen any upside to trading Bitcoin. Uh, it was very easy to, 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 to make losses. Uh, so, so, so because of those fluctuations, there is some risk that arises from that. And then touching on the point that uh, Adam raises, in the unlikely event uh, that uh, something happens to the court, but that's very unlikely because of the governance mechanisms in Bitcoin. I think generally speaking, uh, you might know or may not know that the governance mechanism for Bitcoin is like the governance system for countries. So you have the judiciary, the legislature, and the executive. That's pretty much the same way how Bitcoin is structured. So you won't quite get somebody just uh, throwing in some malicious code onto the platform. So the, the system actually works. That's why it has worked for the past 11 years. And it will probably work for the next several decades. The threat that's known and recognized on the intrinsic uh, side of things with the, uh, uh, the protocol is is quantum computing kicks in. So Bitcoin will need to uh, adjust itself to quantum computing, and because when that happens, there will be so much computing power arising from quantum computing. But we believe at that time Bitcoin will figure out how to deal with that. So those are the two the intrinsic risks that I see. If there's any further questions, we can still. Uh,
My question is, what is left for them to gain if they are to legalize Bitcoin? For, for example, here in Zimbabwe, they say Arab states try to legalize it. What's in there for them to gain? Because I don't think any government will legalize mm -hmm. something which they do not have anything to gain in it. Yeah, great point. I, I think that's a... That's a, that's an excellent point. The government will gain nothing. They will lose power. If they, if they're a benevolent government, they will understand it will make their people wealthier, though. But do do they that that that's the balance? Do they want the, their people to be wealthier? Do they want their people to have financial freedom? That that will uh, but but they will have to give up power over their currency. And so I don't see many countries willing to give up power of the printing press giving up power over their finance because they don't have anything to gain. They lose their power over the people if they allow Bitcoin to to be uh, the, the reserve country. I mean, it, it would the country would become wealthier, but their power would go away. So that incentive is gone. So you, you're, you're on to something right there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but I, I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, in 2016, Bitcoin was trading at about... 700 dollars, 2015, 2016, thereabouts. Assuming the reserve bank had spent $1 billion buying Bitcoin, how much do you think they'll be holding a reserve today? Oh, I mean, if they bought it when it was $600, if they bought it when it was $700, I mean, it's gone up 50 yet. So you said they bought a million dollars, it would be $50 million. I mean, it would be an That's what, of course, they should be, they should be putting it on in the, putting it in their reserves. Is, is a little bit different than what the question, I mean, that would be great. I, I see countries are definitely gonna do that, but they're not gonna make it, they're not gonna get rid of their own currency. They're not gonna make yeah, Bitcoin the official currency. Yeah. So the point I was making to, to, to the question is, in some cases, there is a downside for them to legalize Bitcoin. But that's not to say they can't. There's a country called El Salvador. Yes. That is just mm -hmm. Bitcoin legal tender. That's number one. But El Salvador is not the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender. Back in 2016, Japan made Bitcoin legal tender. I think it was the first parliament in the world to actually push regulation that recognized Bitcoin as legal tender. So, so this is not new. But I also wanted to bring the angle that it, if I was a central bank, it made sense. just warn people there have been scams in South Africa like with one coin and stuff don't try to diversify for the sake of diversification 
you know, some people think they need a crypto portfolio. They end up buying some a complete scam, some MMM type of thing. Just I would just advise people keep it simple, stick with the Bitcoin, um, and know how to send a Bitcoin. Learn how to do that. Um, many people who think they own Bitcoin, they just own it at an exchange. They don't know how to send it off of the exchange. You got to learn how to send the Bitcoin because then you truly own Bitcoin. But uh, many people just, they want to have a crypto portfolio. They buy all these altcoins. They don't know how to send them. They don't even know what they really are. Sometimes they're scams, totally. Uh, and again, this is, I mean, a lot, the one coin thing, it, it hit Africa. It, it hit a lot of places and a lot of people really got screwed by that. Uh, that, was a few, that was a few years ago, but it's good to bring it up because these things come in cycles, these, these scams. And people that don't really know what Bitcoin is, they think, well, this is just as good. This is, they say it's a cryptocurrency and look how much it's gone up and it's not even a real thing. So, but, but, the, the, but the simple, the simple way to, to, to learn how to send the Bitcoin, that that's the lesson of the day I, I'm leaving people with. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh wait, and there's, there, there, there's one important thing. You don't, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. That that's another thing many people don't know. You could buy ten dollars worth of it. You could buy ten rand worth of it. Whatever. Um, you don't have to buy a whole bitcoin. A lot of people don't know that. Exactly. It's very, this, this is a very important point to emphasize and re-emphasize. Bitcoin is the most divisible currency there is in the world. Right? You can buy it in fractions. So don't worry about spending large amounts of money. You can buy ten dollars, five dollars, hundred dollars, or a thousand dollars worth of bitcoin. At any point, the community on Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quickly, um, yeah. Thanks for for the discussion. Um, very informative. Um, a couple of points I wanted to make. I think, um, in terms of um cryptocurrency in general and Bitcoin, I think what it needs uh for our for us uh, as people or as individuals is to really um get sort of scenarios modeled in terms of how it would um, help people's um either uh, portfolios. Or how it would help them with um, transactions. Uh, growing um, the scenario into a bigger scale, I think there are lots of questions to answer in terms of um, what the transition economics would be like in terms of for countries adopting Bitcoin um, whilst either they are still keeping a fiat regime in place and things like that. Because there are many sort of multilateral bilaterals we need to see how would they sort of transition in terms of, let's say, uh, repayments of um, IMF uh, loans. When do you pay them? Do you pay them when Bitcoin is at eighty-five thousand, or when it is at twenty-five thousand? And somebody, um, somewhere, is going to to lose. So we, I think, we need to address that in terms of um, of the risk and see um, how as well. Because I think we've just spoken about Bitcoin, uh, but we are in a multiple sort of crypto environment. Where we have many different ones, there is Ethereum. We have our business, there's nothing coming up there. So we we need to speak about valuation and valuation in uh, in relationship to any fiat regimes which remain in place, and as well any sort of commodity best value in terms of they will still be gold. Gold is not going to disappear, and all those things need to also speak to. Um, countries ease of either extracting value from other sort of um, value repositories. So um, a country like Australia might have a competitive advantage in, try, in terms of extracting gold, whereas it's not the same for England. So all those sort of um, economic um, aspects which relate to how 
crypto valuations coming into play will need to be uh, to be spoken about. Then there's the big case of um, politics. Um, some of the way that the world has sort of gone on is through quantitative easing, which is really central bank uh, governance. And then if we are talking about Bitcoin, we need to see what futures contracts a country can make with itself to say, I am going to generate this much amount of coins and do infrastructure projects like what Joe Biden is doing to say, this is what we're going to do in terms of infrastructure, one trillion more paid back when that value is realized. All the things that we calculate, net present value, or, or sort of um, discount um, cash flow or, uh, or crypto uh, sort of model. So all those need to be answered, but I think we have spoken, spoken in terms of what we really like about Bitcoin, but we need to see how is it sort of suitable for everybody, how is it feasible, and how is it sort of um, acceptable. So it, 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 there are quite some issues to address. This are you an academic? Sorry? Are you an academic? Uh, I just uh, study around, uh, but um, it's just things to think about because we... I was just going to challenge you to, to, to start exploring that from an academic perspective. Because yeah, no, that, 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 that kind of thing, yeah. Because another point I just wanted to make, which is the last, is around uh, how Bitcoin and sort of decentralized uh, finance, you uh, sort of um, think of how are we going to have capital allocation, let's say, at a national level. Let's say if we wanted to procure COVID-19, let's say there's a COVID-30 in, um, in 2030, and let's say we have a big sort of decentralized finance, how do we try to procure things for the common good, yet probably money is sort of controlled in more individualized wallets and things like that. So it's, 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 it's all those things that I just wanted to put on the table for as sort of food for thought. And uh, if you have quick answers together with um, your guest speaker, then we might hear that today. Uh, thanks a lot. There's a couple quick answers, actually. He's worried about, uh, on a national level, you know, how the, how the countries of the world are going to deal with Bitcoin. Dude, let them worry about it. As an individual, you move before they move. That, that, that's one thing I got to say. If, you know, in one of your examples with the IMF, how do you, if, if you're a country that has Bitcoin in your reserves and you've done very well with it, when do you decide to pay the IMF back? You don't pay the IMF back. You don't need them anymore. That's why you had the Bitcoin in your reserve. Uh, th that's what I would. That's what I would tell that country. But I don't think any country yeah. is that bold to use Bitcoin. I, 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 I get that point. The thing is, um, that's why I say it's scenario modeling because we need to see what do we need to exist um, the environment we need in terms of existing as nations. Do we still need that or not? Because there are things that will still need to be attended to with certain sort of um, cohorts of um, either demographic people just put together in a group. Um, but it seems like um, we are speaking at an individualized level. That's why I said we, we might just need to see more of those scenarios where we are dealing with it at individual, community level, national level, um, regional level, because all these things um, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift which we need to, to sort of model so that we can answer uh, knowing the consequences of, um, of it. Um, I don't deny that an individual might not worry about paying the IMF, but as long as Zimbabwe exists and has debt, um, then um, there is probably an obligation which needs to, to be met somewhere. So it's 
trying to answer that. How do we step away from that? If we can step away from that, or how are we going to live if we are departing from the That's exactly what I was going to say. These are all these are things that policymakers. Everything he brought up, they better worry about it. Yeah, they they do have that on their plate, um, uh, and uh, that that's for them. That is, is de- definitely excellent points right there. I mean, it seems like you you know you you asked him if he was an academic. It seems like you you've been on the policy side of things before. I, I could yeah. I could yeah. You do it real quickly. Six point two five. Yeah, six point yeah. Six point two five. Well, whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so the halving will happen every four years until there's so little that's available to the mining process. So your question is addressed by the Bitcoin white paper. Once there's no more mining happening, which is an incentive, then the transaction fees will kick in. So at that time, the value of Bitcoin will be so high that what you pay in transaction fees will be relatively marginal. So the transaction fees will address the mining reward that gets less and less and less over time. That's in the that's the sum total of how that is addressed on the Bitcoin protocol. Yeah, I I wouldn't worry about the year twenty one hundred right now, uh that much. But uh I think uh, we've got a lot of smart minds out there and it will be quite obvious then what's going on. But uh a lot a lot of people ask, you know, what happens when there's no more new Bitcoins mined? Uh, yeah, that's it's the year twenty one thirty. It's uh, what you just said basically explains what it appears will happen, but I don't think uh, we're going to have to worry too much about that. But God, God willing, we get life extension technology, and we do. We, we shall see. Yeah, that, that, that's a hundred years away from now. Yes. 
over a hundred years. Yeah. Any other questions or comments before we wrap up? Uh, there is someone called the uh, requested to speak. Take Hashimoto. Unmute yourself if you like to uh, make a contribution. Right. If there is no more questions or comments, we'll just wrap up. Any? I think what, what we're going to do, Adam, is uh, I, 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 is I know you're in California and very busy and always on YouTube. Uh, we'll probably make another uh, arrangement and have you on the space to talk about crypto. We'll, uh, we'll discuss um, offline what kind of topic we need to center the conversation on. Today was this general uh, conversation about Bitcoin in Africa and things that really matter around it. But we'll probably have a more focused conversation uh, in our next short at this. And we'll discuss when and then we'll announce it uh, on Twitter and you can tweet it. But, but we can do that offline. Uh, and, and, and see what we need to talk about then. And, and what, what would be your last words to people on the show? Yeah, well, I thank you for having me on. And yeah, we I'd love to do this again. Um, again, for people, just you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You could follow me on Twitter at, at uh, the best place is T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T on Twitter. T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. But just look up Adam Meister on Twitter. Look up Adam Meister on YouTube, disruptmeister.com. You, I do a show. I do shows quite often. And uh, send me a, your questions. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a really good time. I, and I, I really believe in uh, it, this will preserve the wealth of Africans and all sorts of people. And I have not just – I just don't talk the talk about Africa I went to the Bitcoin conference, three Bitcoin conferences there. There, there are not many people that could say that. I know. I love what you say. I love what you say because of this. I didn't hear you name one shitcoin. I didn't hear you name one, you know, founder who's got a great vision for changing the world. No, man, you said five hundred satoshis. Yep. That's the best shitcoin in the world, and it's the cheapest one, dude. It's one hundred million of a fucking Bitcoin. And they think it's so stupid because when they catch on, this is the only coin that people are going to want to trade. You're so right, Bullsmore. SAT. SAT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. you and, and, and that is something to remember. I mean, when I've traveled with different countries, they've asked me, what? I want to buy the Litecoin type of Bitcoin. They think Bitcoin is known as... Yeah, yeah, but they know. But Bitcoin is the one. It's not like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, no, I don't try to confuse. If you want to be, if you want to be popular, you could bring up every single altcoin and think you're so smart by talking about the team that manages it and everything, and let them do what they're going to do. I keep it real simple, and it's paid off real nice. Oh, it just treat you buy and hold buy, buy and hold. I know it seems boring. It's not like trading for Litecoin or trading for Dash or trading and flipping and doing this, that. No, I, keep it simple. Learn how to send a freaking Bitcoin before you get into all this nonsense. So I'm glad you appreciate that that perspective. Thank you much. You know what? I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm making my, my IBT. We're building fucking shit that won't fuck you out. Say what you want. Swear. Okay. Whatever you want to do, man. So, all good. When I can follow you, man, motherfucker, I will, okay? Okay, thank you. I've been here for like three days, but, you know, Satoshi, 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 Bitcoin, 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 it's pushing, man. I, you, you can come work with me. You can come with me. You work with me. I can fucking work 
All right, dude. <laughs> Pound that like button, man. <laughs> all, 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 all right, guys. Um, if you have any questions, just DM me. Um, if you have any thoughts on what we should have on the next space conversation, also DM me. Let me know. Um, feel free anytime. We people in the Bitcoin community are very passionate about it. And at any point, we are willing to share what we know. And we are also willing to learn. Um, like I said earlier, at the beginning, um, Adam has been in this space for a very long time. I've been in this space for a very long time too. And Adam has traveled to Africa specifically to share and compare notes and also speak at events where Bitcoin is being discussed. So thanks very much, Adam, for being very passionate about the community. And we will arrange and announce when we have the next space conversation on Bitcoin on the continent. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.